everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. Um, I went to college in LA, and I didn't know a soul at the school that I was going to. I knew nobody around. Um, and LA's funny because, uh, well, let me just show you. I took a, th- these are some pictures of the school that I went to. Give me that first one. This is Biola University in the summer. It's beautiful. Um, it's 20 minutes from the beach, 20 minutes from the mountains, like right next to Disneyland. Come on, you guys. Do you want to send your kids there? Yes. Don't look at the ticket price. This is, uh, this is Biola in the summer. Now, this is the wild thing about living in LA. Give me that next picture. This is Biola in the springtime. Or in the fall, sorry. This is Biola in the fall. Yeah, it's that. That's, the, that's Biola in the fall. This is Los Angeles. But this is where it gets really crazy because this is a picture of Biola in the wintertime. Yeah, yep. Um, and just to make sure we round it all the way out, this is Biola in the spring. Yeah, so at this point, the, the ruse. Um, the, L.A. is weird, especially when you're a kid who grew up in Colorado. Like... I still have a pile of ice that's been outside my house since Christmas. We've given him his name. His name is Francis, and he talks to us at this point. He's been around so long. He's a house guest. We have seasons in Colorado. And as an 18-year-old moving to Los Angeles, that was weird. Like nothing ever changes the concrete jungle of constancy. And I started to begin having a healthy appreciation. My brother went to college in Seattle, where it's just dark and cold all the time, but at least there's seasons. And, and just realizing, man, the seasonality to life, like there's a rightness with that. Seasons matter. God designed and intended us to live in time. Last year, we spent a lot of time, right around this time that you're talking about these holidays that he was really particular about wanting us to keep. And so often, we create a calendar, uh, whether it's a business calendar or a personal calendar. You might have a weight loss or a workout calendar, a school, all these different calendars. Have you ever had a spiritual calendar? And part of the question here really engages this ideas of seasons. Does it shake up for you ever? Is there like, does something fun or different or new ever come along? What could that look like? And just to paint this picture a little bit more, I love my wife. If Ashley and I go on a date every single week and we go to the same place and we get the same food and have the same conversation. We are in deep trouble. <laughs> that, that gets going to get boring really fast. And there will just be a sense of like, is this it? How many of you have had that sensation as you think about your relationship with God? Like it's, it's the same. It's like Los Angeles weather. All the, like nothing really shifts. Have you ever had that thought? It's a hilarious time of year in our culture when the pumpkin spice latte comes back at, at, at Starbucks. Now it's coming in like June, which is hilarious. But, but there's, a, there's a like nuance, a novelty to it. The XFL started this last weekend. How many people are like, we just finished football. Stop doing more football. I'm starting to not like football. Like, I don't, I don't know if you feel that way. I don't know what the XFL is doing. It's ruining football for me. Why? Just let it have a season. 
It builds a novelty and a rhythm and a rightness to things. And then again, to circle back on our spiritual lives, what would it look like to have a spiritual calendar? Now, one of the things in our faith tradition as Protestants in general, or particularly in the Christian church here at Discovery, is that we don't always think about a church calendar. But if you go back, and still today, many of you come from more of like a higher church tradition, maybe Catholic or Episcopal or High Presbyterian, where you're going to have these seasons in a church calendar. You'll, you'll know words that I didn't learn until at the end of Christian college, like Epiphany and Pentecost and Advent and Lent. And the whole idea of a church calendar is that it's this ancient way of ordering time around the life of Christ and his church. And this is really just a continuation of the last series that we're in, talking about the ruthless elimination of hurry, where really the whole point was, I want to order my life around God, not around myself, not around my own motivations and desires and hurry. I want to orient around him. What does it look like to orient your calendar around him? And the invitation this time of year and the series that we're going to be jumping into next is based around this idea of Lent. What is Lent. Some of you are like tensing up in your seats because you've experienced a version of Lent before. But as we go through today, I'm going to ask you like, uncurl your fists, let go of the wheel. Let's look at this together because could there be a gift waiting for us here? Okay, just doing a gentle pass. What is Lent? It's a Middle English word. It comes from the word lengthen, uh, which really means spring, springtime. Uh, makes total sense. Who here is just so pumped that when you're eating dinner at 5.30 at night, it's not pitch black out? Yes, praise Jesus. Gosh, when I wake up in the morning, I don't feel like I have to wait three hours for the sun to come. Like the, the earth is spinning on its axis. It's spring. It's coming. It actually also stems from this West Germanic word, Lagadinaz. <laughs> Gotta love the Germans, man. Those are my people. Man, they butcher language, which just means long days or lengthening of days, which I think is really beautiful because I love this idea that if there's going to be a spiritual calendar, that it's going to pay attention to the world around. Light is coming in more and more. Darkness is abating. I love this idea of the celebration of spring, that life can come from cold, dead earth. I remember a few years ago, Ashley and I had planted some tulips in our backyard. And it was literally Easter morning. I walked out and the first bloom of a tulip was happening. And it was just this like, even the earth is aware of this rhythm that I can be so ignorant of. It's springtime. I also think, just to make, like call it out, <laughs> be aware of what it is, those in the southern hemisphere, this is fall for them. So that's weird because they're celebrating Lent, spring in fall because most of these ideas were brought up by people in the Northern Hemisphere. So that's, it's like Christmas in July for them. Um, but they're invited. And, and in this time, we just get to reflect on our need for a coming spring. Not just in the earth around us, not just in the cold, but a spring. A time where the things that are brown and crusty, a time where the things that look dead or may even feel dead, or may even be dead, might have a different story waiting to come. And if it comes, it can only be because it's an act of God and that if he doesn't intercede, if he's not the one that does something here, 
You can't make life come out of a dead thing. Lent is 40 days that lead up to Easter. Uh, according to the Catholics, it's 40 days, but you don't count Sundays, so it's actually 46. Catholics, man, I love Catholics. They make some things so hard. So 40 days, and the invitation for you is, what about engaging something unique this year? What about discovering that there's a pumpkin spice latte hidden in a spiritual calendar this time of year for you? Something to get so excited about. So what is Lent? Uh, in this new series that we're in, we're going to be uh, engaging some practices of Lent together for those that want to. It's a total opt-in thing. We're also, and I'll say this right at the end, um, we're going to be engaging some of our global partners and hearing the Easter story through some global perspective, which I'm so excited about. But just for today, we're going to hone in and focus really hard on what is Lent. What are we celebrating? Well... It's 40 days leading up to Easter, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But for today, we're going to start somewhere else. It seemed apropos, instead of starting at the finish, to start right around some time where maybe Jesus would have started. And so if you brought your Bible, you can turn to John 11, and we're going to track a story of death. Um, death and grief will be our story for today. Who's excited? It's the, it's the best. Um, John 11, and this is a story, some of you may have heard this story before. This is a story of a man named Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus has two sisters who we're going to meet in just a second. And we're catching up this story as John's writing it down in his gospel where things have gone sideways. It doesn't feel like spring right now. It's kind of dead of winter happening around the house of Lazarus. And the story goes like this. We're going to start in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Isn't it funny, at, like John's writing, this is a time where you're not typing on a computer. Every word that you write takes energy and ink. Who's sick? Well, Lazarus is sick. It's Martha and Mary's brother. He's sick. Just, to, just in case you missed it, Lazarus is the sick one. It's like, John, we got it. <laughs> Calm down. Lord, the one whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, though Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Okay, we're going to keep going. We're going to pause right there for a minute because there's a lot happening so far. Jesus obviously knows these folks. We get this little vignette, this reminder. Yeah, he knows Mary. She was the one who she washed his feet with her hair. If you're like, that sounds uber creepy. It kind of is. It's also a beautiful story, but that's happened before. There's this sense, he gets this message from the messenger and his response is, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it's for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So it's almost like that's the response that he gives this messenger. Go tell that back to Mary and Martha. It's not going to end in death. But then there is this very bizarre additional piece of information that he just kind of looks around. He's like, mm, let's stay here for two more days. <laughs> it's, it's very unusual. And... If you're going to send a message like this, if you're going to, as John is doing, even to his reader, but for sure the tension in the room at this point is Lazarus is sick. 
He's like, he's, he's sick. Let's camp out for two more days. It, it's very bizarre. Let's keep, uh, let, actually, two days. Yes, yes. I want to make sure there's so many good things hidden in here. Yes, let's keep reading. Okay, good. John 11, we're going to jump ahead to verse 17. And it says this. So when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met with him. And while Mary stayed at home, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, a couple more significant details going on here. Excuse me. In Jewish culture, um, and still, this is a, a practice that's around to this day, there's a tradition that when a body dies, the soul hovers over that body for a time. And as long as that soul is hovering, there's still an opportunity that maybe that person comes back to life. Pretty wild. That's the tradition. The time frame is three days. So after day three, game over. Nothing else can possibly happen at this point. And I don't know if you caught it, but when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Like, you're late, dude. <laughs> There's another really interesting practice that they used to have, too. I don't think this is done as much anymore. But on that third day, if nothing had happened yet, it was kind of like the Hail Mary pass, the last option, that you would go stand out in front of that person's tomb, and you would just call out their name. You would say, hey, I know that you're dead, but I, stand up and come out. And then you would just wait. And if nothing happened, that was it. It was done. That was on the third day. And here Jesus comes on the fourth day, which Martha's statement now makes complete sense. Jesus, the messenger you sent back, you said this was not going to end in death. But if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And this, I think, is now getting into the crux of our story for today. Can you feel the heavy and the heartbreak and the grief in her? My brother's gone. I don't know if she was aware that he hung out for two more days, but she was certainly aware that he was late. Late to his death, late to his three-day after death, and now just like it's done. It's too late for anything more to be done. The three days is over. Jesus, where were you? How many of you have prayed that prayer? Jesus, where are you? That's a prayer of winter. That's a prayer of looking around and seeing things that are cold and dark and scaly. <laughs> Going, Jesus, where are you? I love this story. And it's not done yet. There's still more to come. But I think if we're really going to take the next step, let's just read the next little chunk here together because it continues. So that was Martha that he was just talking with. And now let's skip ahead to verse 32. It says this. When Mary, the other sister, came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and she said to him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. I've read this story several times. One of the things that boggled me this time, doing, like just studying and getting ready for today, was like, who, 
Who said that line? Martha said that line. We know Mary said, they both said the same thing. If a, if a Bible writer, if John's going to write that down twice, it's because he really wants you to see it as a reader. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Lord, if you would have been here, fill in the blank. Have you ever prayed that? When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could, he not, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? How many of you have had that thought? You've done things for other people. You've saved in this situation. You've healed something here. Why not now? Where are you? There's a painting done by um, a gentleman, Daniel Bono, is that right? Let's put that up there. Daniel Bono, yeah. Um, there's a lot of really good art out there around the raising of Lazarus. But I think when we read this story, the thing that John, I mean, he's spending so much of the story going, do you see the grief? Do you see the winter? If you're going to paint this story, this should be something around the image that you see. Who do you see here? Do you see Jesus and Martha? Jesus and Mary? Jesus and you? Jesus and a friend or a family member? In this story, grief is the appropriate response. I love that the Bible doesn't pull punches. It doesn't try and slap smiley face emojis on things and pretend like it's all okay. It hurts. And in this moment, that is a human thing to acknowledge, and he does. There's this sense of, I've heard stories of you doing good for others. Why not me? They're not saying he can raise him. They're lamenting. As like this, there's this past tense wonder that Jesus seems to have done nothing here. And as we pause in this part of the story, some of us today are on or after day three. A marriage that has or is ending a family member that has passed, a friend we've been sitting by their bed for a long time, a risk that blew up in your face, a relationship that's beyond repair, or just the word parenting. Some of us are on or after day three. Sometimes, the miracle is not manifested in the act of removing grief. We have to have an understanding that God sometimes allows a day four. He allows grief. He allows it to go all the way to the seeming point of no return. And sometimes the problem that we experience here is that we have this understanding that's false of a God who always heals on this side of heaven. That miracles only happen in this life and that this version of our God, when he lets us down, that God himself has let us down when really it's just a bad theology that has let us down. And there's more. When we open up our heart to grief, 
we typically try to scramble and do everything in our power to close up the wound and the hurt that we're feeling in that place and in that time. And the irony is that bearing our heart and remaining in a vulnerable place often exposes us to the deeper truths, the deeper realities, and the deeper love of God. We want to avoid death or at worst pretend like it's not real, but embracing it actually helps us live more fully. We are connected to the people around us in this time in a way we're not otherwise. We're more aware of God. We pray more when things get hard. We're more aware of our need. We're more aware that stuff and money need to take their appropriate places. Rather than live in LA all the time, sometimes it's good to be cold. Experiencing death does something amazing to how we experience life. God may heal. God also engages grief. We have to know the God who holds both in his hands and trust and obey whichever one he's offering us in any given moment. It would be enough to stop at this point in our story. Jesus loves Mary and Martha. Jesus is willing and wanting to come alongside those who are grieving and weeping and not slap a smiley face on it and not sit down and give a back and say, it's all gonna be all right. He's the type of guy who would sit down next to you and just cry on day four. And I love that. So that story is true. This story does continue. Let's read the last little bit of this together. Whew, guys, this is so good. John 11, we're going to jump to verse 38. I'll just continue. Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone was lying against it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ahead. I'm going to wish in a minute I didn't do this. I just love that detail. Because John is writing this story to a group of people who already know how Jesus' story ends about a Jesus who already knows how his story ends. So Jesus is coming up to a tomb where there's a stone that's been rolled away. Oof, don't miss that beautiful detail. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, <laughs> this is so funny. Lord, already there's a stench. <laughs> he stinks, man. He's been in there for four days. Don't make us roll that stone away, which is like such a sister thing to say to about a brother. Like, dude, he was bad before. He's been on for four days. We didn't bury him with deodorant. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up afterward and said, Father, thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. To which everybody around is like, this is day four. <laughs> we did that yesterday. It didn't work. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet were still bound with strips of cloth, which is hilarious. And his fate was, face was wrapped in a cloth. So picture somebody who's like doing a, a potato sack race, but they're blindfolded at the same time. And they've just been dead. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. What? 
It's day four. That can't happen on day four. Jesus, you look like an idiot <laughs> standing in front of this rock telling people to roll away a stone and then you do what we did. Yet what are you doing? <laughs> do you think, so Lazarus comes back to life according to this story, <laughs> which is amazing. He's going to die again, which makes his story a little distinct from Jesus. I just wonder what his second funeral was like. <laughs> like if his sisters were like, yeah, we've done this before. Like we know how to plan it. You read this scripture. Like what did that feel like? Was it just repetitious? And all joking aside, I think that's kind of the point of this story. Imagine what it would be like to be Mary and Martha at the second funeral. What are they thinking or feeling that's so much different from the first time around? We've seen this story play out before. We saw how Jesus enters into this story. This one feels a little bit more final. There's like a wry smile that starts to spread across their face. And if you've ever been at the funeral of somebody who you know is chasing God, it is just so fun. In the midst of the tears, which are right, and in the midst of the grief, which is right, as friends to like nudge elbows and have that kind of a wry smile. Like, I think there's going to be more. You think they were thinking, what are we actually afraid of? What are we actually hoping in? What is Jesus capable of? Is life out of death possible? What if it's been three days? Do we still believe? What if it's been four days? Do we still hope in the darkness? Lent offers us a season to uniquely remember and consider a God who does impossible things. Sometimes he saves us from grief. Sometimes he wades into that grief. Sometimes he's, he does something only after the grief is complete. As we remember and consider, we have a unique window of time to consider for ourselves, what do I believe? The invitation of Lent this year for you is to take advantage of a special time in a spiritual calendar to consider both what things in your life and in your world are crumbling, grieving, or dying, and to consider if and how the God of the universe may be involved in the midst of it all. It's also an invitation to engage Easter in a whole new way. What if Easter was more meaningful this year for you? What if you intentionally prepared for it in a way that made you more expectant, more ready, more engaged? In the coming weeks, we'll draw closer to remembering a story of Jesus's own death and resurrection. We think he, um, I think he was thinking as he stood in front of Lazarus's tomb, what do I believe? And there was a reckoning and he had to choose and he made a choice, and he continued to obey what God had put in front of him. It's really the same story that you're living right now in this moment. And whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus, or whether you're somebody who's just checking out things for the first time, I just want you to know in this story and in this time, Lent is this really cool season where you can stress test Christianity. <laughs> you can stress test this man, Jesus. 
Is it good to take time aside in the calendar? Is it good to hold off from certain things and to intentionally do other things? Does it make your soul come more alive? You can test it. So before we get into some of the nuts and bolts of Lent for us for this year, I just wanted to address a really important group of people that are in the room today as you're hearing this word Lent come up. And this is for those of you that have been really hurt by Lent in the past. There are traditions out there, and there are people out there who say, who scream, practice Lent like they would scream, eat your peas. <laughs> it's just this divine imposition. You have to because I say. I think one thing I love about Jesus is that he's so invitational. It is like, I want you to choose this. I want you to understand this. He's a good teacher that way. And if you feel like, man, I've practiced Lent before, but I've, I'm carrying some hurt. I'm carrying some like major resistance to this. I just want to say a couple things. First off, Lent is a four-letter word, so you're in good company there. Your frustration is legitimate. If you feel angry for being forced to do something you didn't choose, it's healthy to acknowledge that. Whenever arbitrary rules override our will, we feel controlled rather than liberated. We are not invited to be slaves. We are invited to be servants. Servants know the will and the heart and the why of the one they serve. Slaves are dictated to and dehumanized and forced without a personally compelling reason behind the, dis the discipline, it becomes a rule, and rules can breed resentment. So don't do this because I tell you to. Second, I would love for you to consider practicing Lent differently than you've practiced it before. If or when something starts to feel meaningless or hollow, pause and consider whether you should continue it or not out of the freedom that Jesus invites you to live with. And if it doesn't allow freedom, chuck it. Now, here's some other things for all of us in the room. What is Lent? Well, here's what it's not. Lent is not a time to punish yourself. It's not a time to think about all the bad things you've done, a way to earn God's favor. Lent is not a replacement for Passover. And so often, I think, even if you have a cultural understanding of Lent, there's just this sense of, like, I've been bad and I need to feel it. And I would just say, that is not the voice of God. Run from that like crazy. There's an invitation to Lent, and here's what Lent is. Lent is a way to engage with nature and with Scripture in a unique invitation to pay attention to both darkness and the coming light. Lent isn't just hope in the resurrection, but that God would help us better see how we're sleeping, how we're dying, and how by listening to him we can better rise up in the world of today. Lent is a season to engage with death and our reliance on God as our only hope. And Lent is a way to grow your practical and your personal relationship with God. You're invited. Typically, Lent has three parts to it when you practice it. The first is fasting, the second is prayer, and the third is generosity. As you wait in the darkness for the sky to become more bright, how do you wait? This is traditionally what we've done. So now, as we start to turn the corner and say, what are we going to do here as a church? I have some very simple invitations. First, by way of 
fasting, um, one of the things that we'll be starting to do is engaging Wednesdays just for this season of Lent. And the first thing will actually be this coming Wednesday. Uh, in church tradition, the Wednesday, 46 days in front of Easter, is something called Ash Wednesday. Um, so for those that want to come, the doors will be open between 6.30 and 8.30 a.m. and p.m. And this is a self-directed time. There will be stuff here for you to organize your time, or you can come and do your own thing. But it's not going to be a service like this. It's just to come in, sit, find your own spot in the room, and engage. And we'll have kind of a devotional thought. It's also one of those things, if you're like, I just, <laughs> just want to come in, I want to say hi, and five minutes later I'm out the door, the time is yours to engage as you wish. We have tried really hard. I'm keenly aware some of you have kids, some of you have sports schedules, like all sorts of different schedules in this place. So we try trying to offer both of those. But one thing that's really cool about that time that we'll talk about more on that morning is there's a smudge of ash that you'll ha receive on your forehead if you want to. And it's just this reminder of from dust you were made. This goes back to Genesis 1. God forms Adam out of dust. From dust you were made, from dust you will return. We're engaging this idea of death. And if I don't have a hope in God, this is all that there is. And one thing that I love about my friends who are honest in their atheism is that they're like, they would totally agree with that statement. You're just dirt organized in a really beautiful way. But once you're dead, it's done. And it's just a reminder, that is true. I would say that's not all that there is that is true. But that is true. The second thing, every Wednesday after that, here at the church, on Wednesday evenings, we're going to be hosting something called Soup and Soul. And the idea here is that you bring a crock pot of soup. We'll be doing this potluck style right here in the auditorium. And we'll just have some time to break bread together, to hang out, to eat. Uh, and then we'll kind of end that time, the last 30, 45 minutes, of just a little devotional thought. And this is more like small group discussion, maybe bigger room discussion, depending on how many folks come. But we just wanted to create space to relationally engage in this season of Lent together. So that's some of the fasting stuff. But just to make sure that you know, like, the liberty that's here. Do you want to do anything else? We just finished this study in the ruthless elimination of hurry, where really there's this constant invitation of, do you want to die to yourself? What about giving up alcohol for 46 days? What about saying, I'm not going to watch shows by myself? What about saying, I'm not going to buy anything I don't need? What about saying social media? What about that? What about looking at the things in your life that you know, this is what I run to when I need to comfort myself or when I need to numb myself? And what happens if you intentionally choose to remove it? Engage the grief and engage the death. And maybe you will find life. That's the invitation. That leads me to my next thing, this idea of prayer. And this is, again, one of those things of like, hey, engage us if you want to. But um, Biola University, they have terrible weather. They make some amazing things. And one of those things is uh, during Advent and Lent, they make this thing called the Biola Devo. And every morning, if you subscribe to this, sign up for it, in your email box, you get a piece of artwork, a piece of music, a piece of poetry, a piece of scripture, and a devotional thought. They're all intentionally organized around a global perspective. And so you might be getting a piece of art from a Ukrainian artist. You might be getting a piece of poetry from an African writer from the 17th century. Um, 
uh, like, and they just do an incredible job of creating this really dynamic feel. You can sign up for that. That can roll into your email inbox. That is what we will do at Soup and Soul on Wednesday nights together is just engage that practice um, together. You can do that alone. You can do that with friends, but know that that's there. If you're interested in that, you can jump on and subscribe to that today. So then it's just set to roll out to you on Wednesday with the QR code on the back of your chair. And lastly, generosity is this third practice during this time. And thanks to um, our staff team and some incredible work they're doing, particularly Nancy Movic, wherever you are, you're beautiful, the work that you do. But Nancy has us connected to two things for this. One is called Miracle Friends, and this is so brilliant. One of the things that Miracle Friends does is, is say, hey, there's, there's folks experiencing homelessness. There's also this relational poverty that can sometimes go completely unengaged. What would it be like to form an intentional friendship with somebody who's struggling to have friendship. That would be cool. Some of you are like, man, you don't even have to be experiencing homelessness to feel like I need a friend. It's just a time to give some time to be a friend to somebody in need. There'll also be a supply drive that we'll do and we'll have more information for you coming out for that. And that will lead us then to this year, we're going to have a Good Friday service here at church on Friday night leading to Sunrise Easter. And you're going to get more of the why behind that as we hear from our friends from Paraguay, which I'm so excited about. Just like anything we encourage here, I'd say I'd rather have you start small than try and do something big and then burn out by day three. This is about engaging your heart. What is God inviting you to do? As the world turns from dark to light, from cold to warm, how may God be asking you to engage a unique season in your spiritual life to reflect on your own need for a coming spring? And that if it comes, it can only be an act of God. That if he doesn't intercede, you can't make life come out of dead things. What about Lent this year? Let me bring out the band is I just want to make you aware of one other thing that we'll be doing during this time. This sermon series uh, is based on this idea of a worldview. The next, uh, we'll be engaging this Easter story, but each week you're going to hear that Easter story from a different global perspective. Our friends who are in Albania, our friends in Compton, in Costa Rica, in Paraguay, each week will be taking the stage to provide the sermon, just looking at an aspect of the Easter story and saying, hey, when you're Albanian, here's one thing that you see here that you do not see when you're sitting in your chair in America. And my hope is that by the time we get to Easter, the Jesus that you are sitting with and the cross and the resurrection that you understand, you understand bigger than you've ever seen before because you've engaged it globally. You're invited. Worst case scenario, just watch. Keep coming. You'll hear more about this story of Jesus. You can stress test it. It's good. And the invitation to choose life is beautiful, especially when you're willing to fully engage the grief and the death that we all live with all the time. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks for being the type that would come on day four. And thanks for being the type that would just sit and cry. That would have been enough. Thanks for being the type that would have the courage to go and stare at any tomb with a rock in front of it and consider what was to come for you. 
Thanks for the story of Lazarus that invites us to consider in front of Easter and in front of what you did, what are you doing in us right now and around us right now? And help us have the courage to enter into a new season, a special time, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, we get to participate with nature itself as we engage scripture and prayer and fasting and generosity to see you afresh and see you bigger. Thank you for our global partners who will be with us in the weeks to come and for the gift that they continue to be to this church as we engage mission with a sense of reciprocity. Thank you for Jimmy and Renee. Thank you for those who can't be here today. Thank you for the gift that church is just not a program or a place that we go or a school to disseminate information, but that this is a family. As we lead into Lent, help us better understand this little tiny local family that you've given us, the global family that you've given us, the historical family that you've given us, and help us know you more. Let's stand and sing.